0: Trying to do it, he jumps on the first one, drives it out to deep right field. and
1: Oscar Hernandez has hit it out. The Blue Jays certainly will take advantage. Hernandez, with number 19, is a three-run go-ahead bomb to right field.
2: Good afternoon, welcome to Jays Talk Plus from down at Rogers Center once again. I'm Blake Murphy. That. Was Ben Wagner on the call as Teoscar Hernandez, the new bringer of rain. Three-run home run on uh, my first experience getting rained on at a Jays game. That's probably why the Dome's closed right now. Uh, We'll see if the Jays can pull off the sweep. We'll see if we can get a third game with the Dome open. 7 first pitch tonight as Mitch White takes on Luke Farrell leading a Cubs bullpen day. We'll go through all of that throughout the course of the show. We've got David Lorelai coming on a little later from Fangraphs. Caitlin McGrath from The Athletic. Uh, Buck Martinez, though, momentarily. And here's the headline item for tonight down at Rogers Center or if you're watching on TV. Tonight is the 2022 Jays Care Auction. It's open right now until 9.30 Eastern, All proceeds go to Jay's Care Foundation. You can grab Jay's memorabilia, MLB memorabilia, tickets, vacation, one-hour photography session on the field here, a round of golf with Blue Jays alumni, Jose Cruz Jr. Uh, You can get Danny Jansen's game-worn catching gear. If it's anything like hockey gear, you're going to want to get that cleaned first. Um, But the big headline item, of course, is the chance they go on a fishing trip with buck martinez we'll be joined by buck shortly and go into uh, some of the details there if you missed it last night jays win again five to three a pretty good marcus Stroman start maybe an early hook for marcus Stroman. he gives way to a guy making his major league debut who hits a batter falls down fielding a ball and then gives up a three-run home run to Tasker. and is uh, not the best of debuts great kevin gosman start with nine strikeouts Jordan Romano comes in for a four-out save on the Jays' win. And it's a good thing because Seattle and Tampa won as well. Jays back to a three-game cushion now on that final wild-card spot. We played to you the Ben Wagner call. You also could have heard the Dan Schulman and Buck Martinez call of that Teo home run. Uh, joining us now, I'm very, very pleased to be sitting next to Buck Martinez. Buck,
3: how are you? I'm well. How are you doing
2: tonight? I am doing excellent. Good, right. Uh, so there's a lot of excitement around this fishing trip. It's uh. Uh, everyone's. <laughs> you caught me it. off
3: guard. I thought we were going to talk baseball.
2: We'll talk baseball, but we we got to talk about the fishing trip first. Um, again, uh, Jay's care auction going on until nine thirty today and that's kind of the headline item we were talking to a couple of people yesterday who have been fishing with you so I, I want to hear the sales pitch what is a fishing trip with buck martinez like
3: well it's uh it's a great Destination First and foremost, one out of Key West with one of the best fishermen in the Florida Keys, Mike Weinhofer, and he's been down there for years and he knows uh, every little nook and cranny in the Keys and he knows all the different types of fish. We picked the first week of May because that will give us the widest variety of fish to pursue. You can catch sailfish, then you can catch marlin, then you can catch tuna. You can catch uh, dolphin fish—not the dolphin porpoise, <laughs> the dolphin fish mahi mahi. You can catch uh, barracuda, snapper, grouper, yellowtail—just about anything you can think of. And it's a great time of the year to go fishing down there. And Mike's a great uh, fun guy. He's had a lot of celebrities on his boat. He's a nice open fisherman. Uh, got a lot of uh, power. We can go. When you're fishing in the Keys, if you fish in the ocean, in the Atlantic, you only be fishing four or five miles offshore. Now, if you go in the Gulf, you might run 75 miles out and find the shrimp boats. It's because the shrimp boats fish all night long, and then they dump their bycatch in the morning, and that creates an aquarium like atmosphere yes. there's a little bit of everything out there but we'll do uh one of the uh shrimp boat trips and we'll do some chasing some marlin and uh i think it's a little early for wahoo but uh there's a chance to catch uh that's what i love about open sail open fishing uh, open ocean fishing is that you have a chance to catch all different types of fish
2: and in my experience as a not very good fisherman uh it's a good day on the water anyway. Yeah, even if you don't come come back with a whole lot.
3: Especially in Key West. I mean, Key West is a, is a fisherman's uh, joy. Everything is right there. Uh, nice downtown atmosphere. We'll have some great dinners in Key West. We'll fish for three full days. Uh I will pick up our guests at the airport, drive them down through the Keys. That's a great ride in itself over the Seven Mile Bridge, and uh, there's a lot of things to see on the way down to Key West. And then, of course, once we get on the water, it's uh, an incredible uh, experience for sure.
2: So Ben Wagner was telling me yesterday he got a little seasick when he went out with you. <laughs> uh, is that a common? One? I, I don't want to. I don't want to embarrass Ben or anyone else. And I, and I know Dan and his sons have gone out with you before too. Um,
3: is 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 Ben the only one that, that's run into that? Oh, no. Uh, you know what? I've been very fortunate, knock on wood. I've fished all over. I've fished in Costa Rica and Venezuela and Hawaii and, and fished all over the place and never gotten sick in any bad weather. But, uh, yeah, it can be rough out there. And I had a boat that uh, would handle all the rough seas, and uh, unfortunately my guests wouldn't handle it quite as well as <laughs> the boat
2: did. Well, uh, if anyone's interested in that, again, the Jays Care auction is going on until 9 30 tonight danielle michaud will be giving you updates and pushing you to the websites during the television broadcast i'm sure you'll be talking a little bit more fishing there um and we'll mention it again throughout the broadcast so keep an eye out for all that stuff uh, not just buck lots of stuff up there but that's the that's the big item um buck it's been so great to have you back um i'm curious in that time off and, and since you've been back were there any kind of little things you missed that you maybe didn't expect to miss and then once you got back you were like ah i really missed that part of the gig
3: yeah i think it's the the pre-game where i get a chance to talk to the players the coaches and the manager i think that's what i miss because mm-hmm. i always felt like that was a strength i bring to the broadcast is i bring information from the field that not many people can get and i i think uh people respect my experience as a player in the game and as a broadcaster and uh, they will tell you things and trust you to use them properly during the course of a broadcast and I think that's what I miss most and that's what I enjoy about being back.
2: I think I looked down yesterday and it was I think it was Bo, and there was like 15 minutes you guys were, were chopping it up, and that's great, and you're right. I, I find it adds so much to the broadcast, and on this radio show, you know, I bring a lot of, of stats and analytics to things because that's what I can access, and that's where I can come from. Um, I, I, I've i thought so much that you and Pat and Dan over the years, too, have done such a great job integrating that element of things as well. What has that side uh, of broadcasting these games been like for you as analytics or or stats become a bigger part of our storytelling?
3: Yeah, Blake, they've obviously been a huge part of the game. I mean, they're everywhere. Everybody's leaning heavily on analytics. And, you know, I I think analytics are great. They they give you a lot of information. They kind of validate what we know as players. Mm -hmm. I mean, I knew Jim Palmer could pitch up in the strike zone. I didn't know because he had the high spin rate that that's why he was so effective up there. But we knew he was good upstairs, and we knew certain guys had better breaking balls than other guys. And, you know, now, of course, with the uh, high-speed cameras and all of the soto instruments they have, they can make adjustments and change the shape of the breaking ball and do a lot of different things that we weren't able to do. So that part of it is good. I think there is the danger of overloading individuals with information, mm-hmm. especially during the course of a game. I-, I think it's great for training. I think you can emphasize things during training, but, boy, oh, boy, I can't imagine myself looking at a video of a pitcher in the middle of a game trying to go out there and hit that same pitcher when you look out there and the video's not the same as what you just left on the bench. So I, I think you have to leave some of that for the training aspect of it. React to what you see on a given night on the field, and I think uh, you'll, you'll be better off and you'll have a clearer mind when you're up there trying to battle against a major league pitcher.
2: Yeah, it's funny. I, I'm, I'm at the game yesterday and a friend texted me asking, what does the V and the H mean? Up on the uh, up on the board it's like okay that might be a little bit of overload although we've heard some pitchers say they turn around and look at it see how the breaking ball is moving um, but yeah that that's probably a part where you're bordering on that's a little too much let's take a breath here yeah
3: and I know too I mean you watch different broadcasts around major leagues and you see different broadcasters using different information even on their lineups they won't give you the Batting average, they'll give you on-base percentage or OPS plus or different things that they like and they think are valuable. But I remember when Roger Clemens was pitching here in his heyday, he would not allow the ball club to put the velocity up on the really? scoreboard. Yeah, yeah. And that tells you how how important it is, but how little importance Roger Clemens put on it. It was He didn't have to turn around and, and have – the video would tell him how hard he was throwing. He said the, the, the hitters would tell him how hard he was throwing.
2: Now, you were a catcher. I, I'd imagine that that's a pretty – not necessarily how hard you're throwing, but how far ahead or behind a hitter is is something that the catcher's trying to pick up and relay back to the pitcher as well as they make the next pitch decisions. Is that – is that something you see a lot of from uh, Danny Jansen, from uh, Alejandro Kirk, as they both improve behind the plate? Well,
3: you know what? We see it every night, and they've got the cheat sheet on their forearm, and they look at all the stats, and they look at all the numbers. And this is what you do to get back in the account, in the, in the at-bat. This is what you do when you're heading in the at-bat. No matter if you throw 105 or 85, you can disrupt the timing of a hitter. By changing speeds and changing velocity, going back and forth on location, in and out, up and down. And I think that's the key to pitching. To me, that's the real definition of pitching, when you can take the sting out of a batter's bat. Because you're throwing, like last night we saw a couple of the young Cub pitchers come in and make their debut, and they were throwing 98 and 100. But if you don't have something to back that up and disrupt the timing of the hitter, they're going to catch up to that sooner or later. So I think we understand with a guy like Gosman and certainly with a guy like Manoa who can change the shape of his velocity, change the shape of his breaking ball and go back and forth on velocity, I think that's when you really have uh, the art of pitching down pat.
2: And it's an interesting matchup tonight in that regard with Mitch White on the mound where – I. I get the impression from talking to him from talking to Ross Stripling that he's trying to figure that out a little bit more as well a guy who throws five pitches, but maybe not the a plus stuff necessarily. And he's got to learn how to the mix and match those. I, I know Mitch White had a bit of a hard luck game last time out a few. They were all earned runs, but there was some poor defense behind him. Um, what have you liked from what you've seen from Mitch White as a Blue Jays so far? And where do you think he is in terms of figuring out how to mix four or five pitches uh, effectively like that?
3: I think Pete Walker is probably the best pitching coach I've been around at helping a pitcher figure out how to sequence his pitches, how to put the pitches together to make them most effective. And I think that's what Mitch needs to do. He's got a great slider, and he has a very good changeup. But he's not used his changeup in the past, and Pete's trying to encourage him to use that changeup. Pete compares his changeup to that of Kevin Gosman, and Gosman doesn't throw a lot of changeups, but it's a very good one when he throws it. So I think that uh, Mitch is going to get more comfortable. He's working hard on mastering the changeup to give him that pitch that changes the bat speed of the hitters. So he's got all the arsenal. There's no question about the velocity and the break. He's got a curveball and a slider, good movement on his fastball, but I think it's sequencing that's going to help him more. I think he throws the changeup more frequently, uses the slider to left-handers, and and right-handers. That's when he's going to be more effective.
2: Yeah, the changeup he's thrown three times as much as a J as he did with the Dodgers. Um, but zero to right-handed hitters. And I know that that's usually the book on change up is you don't throw it same hand, same side batter. Uh, but we have seen a couple players this year and a couple Blue Jays kind of go against the grain with that. We see Adam Simber throw his slider to lefties a little bit more. Stripling start to throw the changeup to righties. Um, is that something we maybe need to rethink, or, or if Mitch, let's say Mitch White does develop that changeup to where it's an effective and consistent weapon for him against lefties, are you of the mind you can sneak that in against
3: righties sometimes? Oh, absolutely. I've always been a proponent for same-side changeups, same-arm-side changeups, lefty-lefty. Jimmy Key always had a problem getting uh, Mo Vaughn out or the Red Sox. He couldn't get Mo Vaughn out until they started throwing him changeups. And the, the worry was that the changeup runs back to into a hitter's power. Well, hitters are different now than they used to be, and I think if you have a good changeup and you can throw it that's a foot and a half to two feet slower than your fastball, that's when you're going to get soft contact, and that's when it becomes more effective. You throw a changeup, they put that in the hitter's mind, then that fastball will beat them. You'll get some easy outs once you mix it up. But I think you should throw changeup. If it's a good one, to both righties and lefties, no matter which arm you throw with.
2: Yeah, I'd like to see it more from, from Mitch White as he continues to develop that pitch. And kind of to your to your point, he's done a good job of not allowing a ton of hard contact. Uh, just some of that contact fell in last time, so we'll, we'll see how today goes. Um, on the other side, curious as to your take on what the last week or so has maybe been like for Teoscar Hernandez, where um, he fouls the ball off his foot, he has a couple of, misplays in the field and on the bases that maybe were foot related but also maybe mentally related he gets the day off and then he comes through with that big home run yesterday do you sometimes just need an off day like that to clear your head and kind of reset
3: yeah i think so and Tao had a bad play in boston he had another play here when the ball hit off the fence in right field to show he hit a fly ball and then uh he came out and made a great catch in the fourth inning, saved a run. And to me, that was an indication that, you know what, if I'm going to be out here, I've got to give everything I have on that given day. It might not be 100%, but I'll give you 100% of my 85%. And that's all a manager can ask. And then he hit the big home run. And obviously, you know what, you need to have that type of intensity every single day. And I don't care if you're Tay Oscar or Bo or Chapman, you have to understand you're only out there for nine innings. You're only out there for a little over three hours and give everything you have for that period of time. You're on the field because you never know when you're going to get your next chance. And that was
2: John Schneider's message coming out of that angel series, right? He, the quote that everyone was passing around the three hours of focus is all we're asking. And then he had to kind of joke on Monday. Well, it's a little more than three hours. Um, based on what the last two games look like versus the weekend do you, do you think that message has kind of gotten through and i know i know schneider has used the term urgency a lot and maybe that's not realistic over 162 but we're into the stretch run here and baltimore's around the corner do you get the sense the last couple of days that that this
3: team's feeling that given what we've seen in the last two days i would say yes it's august 31st yeah september tomorrow there's an off day tomorrow, then they go into Pittsburgh, but then they go into Baltimore and play four games in three days. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the Orioles are getting uh, some good arms coming up. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez is uh, going to make a rehab start, and he might be pitching by the end of the month. So uh, everybody's getting healthy, and everybody's getting strong. Tampa Bay is right there, too. They're going to be difficult. Seattle's a good team. And I think the Blue have to understand that, you can't focus on the Baltimore series just yet. You've got to finish up the Cubs series with a win, carry that momentum into Pittsburgh, and take two out of three at least against the Pirates and hopefully sweep them.
2: Well, the nice thing for the Jays is that after that Texas series, uh, there's no more light opponents. It's it's all good opponents almost right to the finish line. Um, you are going to be in Pittsburgh on the call with Pat Tabler right. this weekend. Uh, PNC ranked pretty high for you as far as beautiful parks around the league that you like going to?
3: It's a beautiful park. It's a horrible broadcast location. Oh, really? Yeah, it's uh. terrible. It's on top of the ballpark. Oh, no. Yeah, it's like Washington's National uh, Stadium. That Missouri. one
2: I knew was, was poor, and and I knew that because – Washington, Their basketball team has a really poor one, too. And Matt Devlin and, and Jack and Leo, those guys, I, I don't think, love the Washington no, team. The, so. uh, the,
3: uh, the ballpark itself, PNC, is a beautiful ballpark and a great venue downtown in Pittsburgh, right on the river. You look into downtown Pittsburgh from the stands, but the broadcast is horrible. You can barely identify the players from where you are. And you never know if the ball is popped up on the infield or going into the river. It's that kind of uh, perspective. But I, I, I really like the field. It's a great field for fans, a great field for players, just not great for broadcasters.
2: You as a broadcaster, and I know you've done lots of national stuff and you've been to all the parks and everything, but... In your day-to-day with the Jays, you see the balanced schedule, the more balanced schedule coming next year, and you get to see things like, ooh, a series at Dodger Stadium in July. Is that pretty exciting for you to, to get to add those those dates if they're the ones you're on the road for?
3: If I had my druthers, I would like American League to play American League and National League okay. to play National League. That's To me, that's ideally because then the World Series becomes extra special mm-hmm. because you haven't played those teams. But I like the balanced schedule a little more. I like the fact that everybody will play – Equal teams, and everybody will have a chance to hold their own against those same competitions. And I think it's important to have a balanced schedule. And, yeah, it'll be fun to go to all the ballparks every year. I, I'm looking forward to that.
2: Um, but before I let you go, have you taken anyone on this team out on the boat before? No. No? Is is Outside there... of Ben. Uh, right. Uh, is there anyone that you could see being like what makes a good fisher person and is there anyone that that fits that mold for you on this roster
3: uh jordan romano and i have talked about fishing in the past and uh, i think he's a guy that would like to get out and fish but the thing about the type of fishing we're going to be doing in the keys is uh, you have to be patient it's 90% boredom and 10% panic because there's a lot of uh, sitting around waiting for the bite to turn on, but when the bite turns on, it becomes a great adventure, so we're looking forward to that.
2: Well, that's a, it's a nice parallel for baseball, then. We we talk all year about the Jays need to be more patient. They need to be more selective. Oh, now you're being too patient. You've got to be ready to jump on it when it comes. It seems like there's some some translation there between being on the water and being at the plate. Um, So, again, that's the Jay's Care Auction tonight. It's open until 930 Eastern. All proceeds go to Jay's Care Foundation. Uh, Keep an eye on the broadcast. Danielle Michaud will have all the details for you throughout the broadcast. Uh, Buck Martinez, thank you so much for coming on with us. Great to be with you. An absolute pleasure. Uh, We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk to David Lorela of Fangraphs. We'll tee up Mitch White's start tonight. And we'll see where Jordan Romano, who – as David wrote about this week, was nearly a hockey player, uh, ranks among the best relievers in baseball today. That's next on J-Stock Plus on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. J's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That's uh, the music I'm going to hope that Mitch played, Mitch White uses uh, as he comes out tonight. He is getting the start. 707 first pitch. Ben Wagner and Arden Zwelling on the call for you. We just had a chat with Buck Martinez. Uh, a real treat for me. That's a career highlight, that one. Um, a reminder, you can uh, keep an eye on the broadcast tonight. You can Head to the Jay's Care website or BlueJays.com for more details on the Buck Martinez fishing trip, uh, for all of the Jay's Care auctions going on until 9.30 Eastern tonight. Uh, so keep an eye and ear out for more about those. Our pal Danielle will have uh, the updates during the broadcast for you. Prices are already uh, already climbing, so get in there quick. We're going to be joined by David Lorla of Fangraphs in a minute. He wrote, uh, he had a nice chat with Mitch White, actually, uh, about Mitch White's new slash redesigned slider and how uh, Mitch White's hands are so soft that he gets blister problems, uh, which I thought was a a funny note in there. Uh, Before we do that, uh, a little look around baseball. If you're trying to measure the teams in the wildcard race right now, interesting couple days. Uh, Shane McClanahan to the IL for the Rays. He was scratched yesterday. That's a big, big loss for them. Uh, Shane McClanahan was also, when Justin Verlander went on the IL earlier this week, McClanahan was the guy I kind of looked at. I'm like, huh, maybe someone could steal the Cy Young from Verlander. And now that guy's gone too. If you just sort by Fangraph's war, Kevin Gosman's the guy, but I don't know that that's going to come through. I think the, the most interesting subplot the rest of the way now to me is Could Shohei pull a double? Could he win the MVP last year and the Cy Young this year? Uh, Look into the numbers. He doesn't have quite the innings total you'd normally expect because he hits and because the Angels uh, babied him a little bit. Um, But he is right up there in most statistical categories. So uh, that'll be something to keep an eye on. So the Rays take a hit. The Astros take a hit as well, uh, depending on how long Verlander will be out. The Orioles, though, who are now three games back at the Jays after yesterday, Buck mentioned earlier that Grayson Rodriguez is heading out on a rehab assignment. Gunnar Henderson, who once Adley Rutschman was called up by the Orioles earlier in the year, uh, he just slid right into the number one prospect in baseball spot that Rutschman had before. He's up. He's starting at third base tonight and hitting sixth for the Orioles as they take on the Guardians. So uh, the Orioles... You could say this is getting a young player a look late in the season. They called him up on August 31st before the roster expansion. Every day. I think they're calling this kid up because he can help them in a playoff race here. Uh, so that'll be a lot of fun to see. It'll be a lot of fun to see him for, I'd imagine, probably three of the four games when the Jays are in Baltimore, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday next week, that doubleheader Monday uh, as well. So that'll be that'll be a fun one. This one, there was some mystery around who the Jays would be or sorry, who the Cubs rather would be starting in this one. It's gonna be Luke Farrell, the youngest son of John Farrell. So kind of a tangential attachment to the Blue Jays here. Things have not gone well for him against the Blue Jays, though. He saw them three times last year, once as a starter, twice as a reliever. Big old 20.25 ERA, and only made it two and two thirds innings. Don't let the surface ERA over seven innings so far this year fool you. Luke Farrell has an ERA over five down at triple-A. A a strikeout-to-walk ratio less than two. Uh, So if you thought the Jays maybe were starting to come out of it with a big Danny Jansen home run, a big Teoscar Hernandez home run, five runs in each of the last two games, which isn't great, but they're coming off a weekend where they only scored two. Uh, This might be an opportunity with a bullpen day led by a guy who was a below-average AAA starter two weeks ago. We're joined now by David Lorrela of Fangraphs uh, to talk about the other side of this pitching matchup, Mitch White. uh, David, how are you?
0: Hey, Blake. I am doing great.
2: Uh, So you got the chance to talk to Mitch White for a piece that went up at Fangraphs uh, this week, Great piece, really enjoyed it um what was your what was your conversation with mitch like I, I'm curi- I read the piece, but for the listeners who who haven 't got a chance yet, um, one of the things you led into the piece with was mitch white 's nerdy approach to pitching. Uh, tell me a little bit about that
0: well, I did, and a funny thing Blake is um, I had spoken to Nick Frasso, whom the Blue Jays traded. Uh, For White, I know there were a few other pieces Um, when I was in Michigan a few weeks ago. So when the Blue Jays came to, you know, to Boston, where I work out of, I thought, well, hey, I've got to talk to Mitch White now. And him coming from, uh, you know, an organization like the Dodgers that are very cutting edge with pitching analytics. um, I sort of led with, hey, Mitch, you know, tell me about just your process of learning to pitch. And uh, he started talking about his career path by health, um, and one thing that he mentioned was blisters, um, which uh, I think a lot of listeners know that if you're really ripping on a, uh, on a breaking pitch, you know, on a seam, you know, pitchers do get blisters. And uh, from there, we ended up talking almost exclusively about his slider, uh, w- which is new.
2: Yeah, and we we talked to him a little bit about that a couple weeks ago. You you got to go into a little more detail with him. Uh, I'm curious though, did did you get any advice from him on the soft hands thing? How to keep those hands soft through a baseball season? That that was the line that stuck out the most to me. <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, I don't know if uh, Mitch has really figured that out. I didn't <laughs> talk to him too much about about uh, soft hands. I didn't ask to feel them or anything. <laughs> but,
2: we'll uh, no, we'll have to ask Kevin Gosman, who, you know, we've talked to Gosman before about how he pitches basically all year through blisters because of the the unique grip he has on his splitter. So I, I guess it's just something that everyone's got to work through as they, as they try different grips uh, on different breaking pitches.
0: No, for sure. And it seems a little bit odd to me that Gosman would get uh, blisters from a splitter. So maybe that's something that I should ask him about sometime because you're basically trying to kill spin rather than, you know, increase spin. And I know, and it's interesting too, talking to Mitch White is when he talked about uh, changing his, his slider uh, last season in the Dodgers system is he used to throw a harder spin, a harder slider that was more bullet spin. It didn't have quite as sharp or as horizontal break. And uh, now he throws one that really has more horizontal, more right to left, which is interesting because he throws it uh, on average two miles an hour slower than last year, and a lot of the conversation that I had with him had him stressing, you know, I really like the hard slider. I think it's a better pitch because, you know, it stays on line longer, so it's harder for the, the hitter to pick up that it's a slider. So I think he's really trying to balance uh, two different aspects of of a slider. And and the new one, of course, uh, as he pointed out, was because he just simply is more comfortable for him not blister-wise, but he can throw it more consistently.
2: Yeah, and the Jays have him using it a a little bit more than the Dodgers did. Uh, I want to get into a little bit of that with you as well, but um, when you hear him talk about it stays on plane longer before it breaks, uh, so it's it's a little harder to pick up. That seems to be kind of maybe the next thing we need to look at. As we develop analytics and have this video capability for spin rate or or the degree of break and things like that, him pointing out that the when is just as important as the how or the where, um, do you think that's something that, you know, as analysts, we'll have access to at some point? Is that more of a an eye test kind of thing? Where are you at on on how we include the when when we're talking about breaking pitches?
0: Well, I think that you can can probably quantify that better than you used to with all the high-speed cameras. But to my understanding, um, it's not possible to really pinpoint the the exact late movement. You know, I could be wrong on that. I'm sure there are people in... Analytics labs and MLB front office is laughing at me now for thinking, hey, he doesn't know that. Uh, But I don't think it is well known if, you know, uh, for common folk like me. But it does make sense. And it is simple physics. The harder you throw a pitch, the more it is going to stay online and have the late break. And again, you know, white is trying to get that plus, you know, the extra horizontal movement.
2: Yeah, it's a tough balance there, and I mentioned his slider usage has gone up in Toronto. He was thrown at about 22% with the Dodgers. He's up to almost 30% now. Um, it's his best pitch by far in terms of whiff rate. So in terms of even, even recognizing that slider has a, a little bit of different shape and it's not as hard as before, do you agree with this move that, you know, whether Mitch White has come across on his own or the Jays have had him do uh, to prioritize that pitch a little more? It's actually the pitch he's using most against righties right now.
0: Well, it makes sense that a slider is going to be a pitch you're going to use more against, you know, same-handed hitters, um, especially when you increase the horizontal on it. Mm-hmm. You know, a curveball, I'm sure, and a, and a, uh, a changeup he will use more to opposites. You know, hand but he's, he's using the well. slider
2: even more than the fastball against righties is, is the, the point that I was making there. Sorry.
0: Okay, yeah, I have not seen him pitch yet. Um, I took a very cursory look at the data before you know, I got on the phone here. Um, okay. But it's hard without really looking at film and watching a guy, you know, what are the sequences, what are the game situations that are going to dictate that usage, and how are the hitters reacting to it? I know that he hasn't had great results in this handful of opportunities with the Jays. So, you know, something presumably is not working optimally.
2: Yeah, uh, last you know he he hasn't had great results on the whole. Um, you know that's maybe inflated by a pretty tough luck start last Friday, where in my estimation that was a good example. If we were ever going to move away from earned runs and unearned runs, or, or come up with some sort of well stuff happens qualifier for for a pitcher's line, um, there was there were some non error errors behind him. But yeah, it, it'll be interesting to watch. Also interesting to watch. He's used the change up a little bit more since he got here, but, uh, of course, zero to right-handed hitters um, there. I want want to pivot, and I want to ask you about Jordan Romano as well. I know he was a guy you included in your uh, Sunday notes, which is one of my favorite weekly things at Fangraphs, Uh, and you had talked to Jordan Romano a little bit about not only this starter versus reliever thing or uh, position player versus pitcher, but Jordan told you he almost went down the hockey path.
0: Well, I don't know. Almost maybe a slight exaggeration, Um, you know, spurred from a conversation I had recently with Atlanta Braves rookie outfielder uh, uh, Harris, I'm spacing out here on his, Michael Harris, yes, Michael Harris II, about being, uh, you know, a multi-sport athlete in high school. Uh, I started thinking, well, let me talk to a few players about, you know, their path, and um, I wasn't expecting to hear about hockey from Jordan Romano, although he being a Canadian, I guess I shouldn't have been surprised. But he said that he thinks that, well, he wouldn't have been NHL material. I don't think he would be Austin Matthews, certainly. Um, he thought he could have he played collegiately or, or juniors. But he basically gave it up uh, at age 17 because he just didn't have the love that he, he did for baseball. And when I say give it up at seventeen, basically what he did is he just simply went down a level. He told me in his hometown of Markham, in order that he didn't have to play quite as seriously. So he kept the skates on. He just simply didn't he didn't want to put in the effort, uh, you know, and take away from baseball.
2: Uh, He followed the Blake Murphy path of, uh, well, in his case, i got to focus on baseball. In my case, it was, well, you're not good enough, so why why put in all the effort anymore? Um, David, I'm curious, though, in talking to Michael Harris about that, in talking to Jordan Romano, um, there are a handful of other guys In covering basketball, one of the more fascinating things that's come out in terms of player development is guys who maybe get to the sport a little later and have a background in another sport. So maybe it's someone who played soccer and didn't take up basketball until they were 16 or 17. Um, I know baseball has a bit of a challenge and it's something facing the game right now in general about getting elite multi-sport athletes to choose baseball over, you know, Kyler Murray going the the NFL route. But what do you think it is about multi-sport guys that like, and those different types of athletic competencies you can bring to the sport of baseball uh, that makes guys like that successful?
0: Boy, that's a really hard question. Um, I think most any scout you're going, I shouldn't say most any scout, But a lot of scouts are going to tell you they love multi-sport athletes. Um, I think there's a push away from baseball only in general, although so many young players seem to be getting pushed uh, toward it. But, you know, as you suggested, a lot of it is going to be opportunity. It costs, you know, some sports cost more money than others. And uh, although the minor leagues are, of course, finally starting to improve, you know, the unionization possibility is going to help markedly with money. But the Sunday notes column I had where um, I spoke to Jordan Romano, I also spoke to Tampa Bay's Randy Arozarena, uh mm-hmm. about his soccer background. Um, his younger brother actually plays professional soccer in the U.S. But when I asked uh, Randy Rosarino why he chose uh, baseball over soccer, he said that growing up in Cuba, there was a far better path to go farther and make money in baseball than there is in soccer. Uh, So despite the fact that he claims that he was a better soccer player than he was a baseball player, he chose the sport that was going to financially benefit him more.
2: He must have been a pretty good soccer player because he's a pretty good baseball player. Um, Back on Romano, David, I was going through some numbers uh, this morning because Jordan Romano comes in yesterday. He gets another four-out save for the Jays. Um, The ERA, the save totals, they are what they are, and they say that Jordan Romano is a very good closer. Um, I also look, and he's first in average leverage index among all relievers. He's top five in win probability added. When you're not ranking necessarily, but when you're looking at the tiers of back-end guys in Major League Baseball, whereabouts would you have Romano, um, you know, again, I don't need an exact rank, but, you know, is he uh, uh, near the, the, that kind of second tier of guy below the elite guys? Could you put him in the elite class given the leverage he's worked in this year? Um, are you, and, and is there a little bit of bias now that now that you've talked to Romano and you guys had that uh, great conversation?
0: Well, yeah, I don't know if Bias is really going to play into this. (laughs) Um, At least it certainly shouldn't. Uh, He is certainly, as I'm sure a lot of Blue Jays fans know, though, a very personable individual. Uh, So if you are going to have Bias for that reason, he, he ranks highly. But as far as where would I place him without looking at leaderboards at a variety of stats, I would certainly rank him pretty highly because he is an elite closer, I think that if he played for instance in New York, uh he would probably everybody would say he's an elite closer. Yeah. Um I would rather have Jordan Romano than Aroldis Chapman for instance.
2: Yes, absolutely. Uh, for for on and off the field reasons. Um and Jordan Romano I maybe it <laughs> You know what? Maybe, maybe part of the issue here is not only um, he's not in New York, but also he has like a special entrance here, but it's more about the like show than it is about the song. And obviously we've heard that a song will do a lot for uh, a closer's notoriety. So, so maybe we just got to get the uh, – it's some EDM dance track. We, maybe we got to spice that up a little bit. Um, the Blue Jays bullpen in general, David, since the All-Star break – ranks third in ERA and I know ERA is an imperfect stat in even in six week samples for a bullpen and you can look and the Jays are in the bottom third of the league in uh, swing and miss stuff swinging strike rate from their bullpen even over that stretch Uh, but when you see a stretch where you know we're talking like six plus weeks now of sub three ERA from this group do you think their bullpen is good enough for the the playoff stretch ahead that that they're going to hope to find themselves in?
0: That's a good question because they have better starting pitching than a lot of other teams is probably not quite as big of an issue. But in terms of the Blue Jays postseason success, um, they are one of the more confusing teams to me in baseball. The more the season goes on, their proclivity, propensity, whatever to win three games in a row and then lose three games in a row is, <laughs> is mind boggling. And I know that you know, coming up, they're playing, what, Pittsburgh. I know they have a Texas series. They have got a ton of games against uh, Baltimore and Tampa Bay in September. Uh, and those are two teams that they're battling for the three playoff spots along with Seattle. I also know that while those head-to-head numbers are going to change quite a bit with the extra games, um, they have a losing record in season this season against all three of those teams. Um, does that matter in the postseason? I think statistically the answer is no, but it often does tell you about something, how well you match up with teams.
2: Yeah, it's an it's an interesting thing to look at, especially, you know, the Rays obviously have a very different looking bullpen uh, than the Blue Jays do. Um, Baltimore has just kind of been a thorn in their side, but Baltimore, they're gearing up for this. They're only three games out of the spot, and I, I think they've hung around maybe a little longer than anyone anticipated when they first caught hot but they've called up Gunnar Henderson now too and and David I I don't know maybe you feel differently because September roster expansion is you know tomorrow but this feels like a move not aimed at getting a young guy late season reps this feels like a move aimed at hey Gunnar Henderson is a very good player who can help us make this final push to a playoff spot would you agree with that assessment?
0: Uh, Well, I would. Uh, I think he's certainly earned the opportunity. And I think Baltimore is doing a great job of catching lightning in a bottle with a lot of players this year. And Henderson may be another one of those players. Uh, I think by the time teams start to figure him out, he may have got off to a good couple weeks start and gotten them an extra win or two, which, you know, again, would be crucial because we are talking, you know, playoff run. Um, And I should back up, too. I am not certain what... um, toronto's record is against baltimore this year i think it is tampa seattle and cleveland that they have struggled with and cleveland is a very is a very possible if not likely first round playoff matchup uh and which would be in cleveland you know being the division winner
2: yeah it's it's a tough one and and you know the jays have had Not the best of times against Baltimore this year. It's been, again, part of the the frustration of their their up and down. I I believe they're 3-6 and against Baltimore, which uh, feels not good. Uh, At least you have a lot of games left uh, against them, including a doubleheader on Monday, uh, a four-game set there. David, when you look at where the wild card race is right now, and Tampa Bay obviously losing Shane McClanahan for a little bit here, it is going to hurt. Baltimore, you know, I know over at Fangraphs, uh, Dan Ziborski's zips projection doesn't quite believe in them still the rest of the way. But do you have a do you have a lean in how you think this might play out with the the five teams kind of fighting for those last three spots?
0: That that is a very good question. I will say that on paper, Toronto is the best team. Um, Seattle probably is the team that is sort of my hunch team. I really like what they're doing over there. Um, I I I think everybody listening will remember how uh, late September last year, the Blue Jays were battling for a playoff spot, and the word around baseball is. Don't let them get in. Nobody wants to play Toronto. In the postseason, well, they didn't make it. Um, Fast forward uh, 11 months, I think a lot of people are saying, okay, well, Toronto, let them get in, whatever, because they're not really that dangerous. They're a good team, but we don't fear them. So, you know, it's a funny dynamic. You know, this may be the year that Toronto does sneak in and then blows everybody's doors off in the postseason.
2: I I would love it, and I'm sure my audience loves hearing that. Um, One more for you, David, before I let you go. Um, On the McClanahan note, so Justin Verlander hits the I.L., and I start looking at the A.L. Cy Young race and and trying to figure out, well, Verlander's already thrown 150-plus innings. Maybe he still hangs on to it, Uh, but maybe there's a window for a guy like Shane McClanahan. And then McClanahan hits the I.L. Do you see the A.L. Cy Young races being maybe a little more open this last month you've got guys like uh otani bieber gosman sees like like it's a pretty it's a pretty deep next tier of guys below verlander
0: and mcclanahan well i think this may be the opening for for gosman with verlander being backed off a little bit so sure um a month is a long time in baseball It's easy to say, Hey, this person has this locked up. This person has that locked up. Um, a lot can happen. You know, a guy can go on, on a great run. Um, and psychologically if the blue Jays, if Kevin Gosman wins huge games down the stretch, uh, that, that's going to resonate with voters. It shouldn't determine whether that's the vote, uh, necessarily, but, uh, Voters are human, so I think that could that could very much happen. Uh, all right, David. I, I, well, I, 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 yeah, I do not have a Cy Young vote this year. I do have a Rookie of the Year vote, um, which is going to be uh, very, very interesting, American League Rookie of the Year, because there are three very good candidates.
2: Yeah, there are, and one of them... You know, we could very well see uh, the Jays playing against it in a playoff series in Julio Rodriguez, uh, probably up too late, but we're going to see Adley Rutschman in, in a couple days here. So uh, no shortage of fun. <laughs> rookies around the american league i also have to thank you david you mentioned frank catalanato randomly in one of your sunday notes columns and it sent me on a deep dive through the stats like the frank catalanato reed johnson platoon in toronto in the like early 2000s was what taught me what a platoon is and why it's effective so thank you for the frank catalanato trip down memory lane
0: and i think of frank catalanato as a detroit tiger so uh there are probably Detroit Tiger fans who went down the same rabbit hole from that column. So right. I'm I'm doing yeoman's work.
2: Yes, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> David Laorla of Fangraphs, uh, keep up all the great work with the Sunday Notes column with all the kind of inside pitching and inside hitting interviews you've been doing. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Mike. David Laorla of Fangraphs. A reminder too, um as we have all our Fangraphs pals on that they've got a new app that you can download, and they're soliciting user feedback about what you want to see on it next. So um, it's a helpful tool to look at things while you're at the ballpark, while you're on the fly. You don't have to have the laptop in front of you. It's cool. Help them out. Take a look at it. Give them some feedback. Uh, they're always coming on the show too, so we gotta we got to appreciate them there. Um, we've got lineups for tonight's game. We'll go through those quickly before we take a break. We're going to talk to Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic uh, at 6 o'clock. But before we do that, here's how the Chicago Cubs are lining up. It's a different look than the last two nights. They're tagging in some bench guys. They're going with four lefties against Mitch White. Apparently, like me, they want to see more of Mitch White's changeup, and he's only throwing that to lefties so far. So uh, they're stacking four lefties in the lineup. We're going to see Zach McKinstry leading off. That guy has had a tough go. He was the return for Chris Martin at the around the, just a little before the trade deadline. Um, you got to hope that you could turn him into something. If you're the Cubs, I was a little surprised that he got a couple days off in a row, uh, just developmentally. But at this point, he's 27 and he has a 204 career average, 255 career OBP. I don't know. You got to give him the reps, though. You got to see if you can shake something loose there. Uh, he's leading off today. He'll be followed by Seiya Suzuki, Fran Mel Reyes, Ian Happ, Nico Horner, Rafael Ortega, Jan Gomes, Alfonso Rivas, and Christopher Morrill. Um, so Wilson Contreras gets a day off after catching the last two. Uh, Madrigal, Higgins, and Velasquez also getting the day off uh, as they rotate those spots around. The Cubs are going to start Luke Farrell in this one. We'll do uh, a deeper scouting report on Luke Farrell and some of the followers that could come because Luke Farrell, I mean, he'll be listed as the starter, but this is uh, closer to opener on a bullpen day uh, or bulk guy at the top of a bullpen day. Here's how the Jays will line up against it. It's a top seven you're used to, but a little bit of a different order. George Springer back in center field at the top. Vlad gets a DH day. Hasn't had one of those in a little bit. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Alejandro Kirk catches and hits fourth. Bo in the five spot. Matt Chapman. And then Teosco Hernandez down in the seven spot, which, uh, you know, if you thought maybe yesterday he was – coming out of it a little bit. He had that off day. He makes a big defensive play. Um, He comes through with the big three-run home run that our pal Ben Wagner, to my right, had such a great call on. Um, uh, Maybe a little bit surprising to see him hitting seventh. Uh, That's the lowest he's hit in the order this year. He had three games hitting sixth. Uh, This is the furthest he's been dropped down. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, Kevin Biggio hits eighth and plays first base with Vlad getting a DH day, and Whit Merrifield rounds it out. At second, so uh, Danny Jansen off after catching the last two. Santiago Espinal rotates out in that second base rotation, and then uh, Tapia and Jackie Bradley Jr., the bench lefties and outfield replacements. Mitch White on the mound. And again, we'll get deeper into the pitching matchups as we get a little closer to 7.07 first pitch with Ben Wagner and Arden Zwelling a little later. We're going to take a break. When we come back. Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic joins us on Jay's Talk Plus on Sports F590, The Fan. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Just doing this thing all week, or this series where every little music drop. Uh, that we come back from was from a Chicago band. I uh, had no idea Smashing Pumpkins were from Chicago. The rest of them, I was good, and then I was like short one spot, and I was like, oh, I'll, I'll just Google Chicago bands to see if there's one I forgot about. Billy Corgan, no idea. Um, we we'll to be joined now by Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic. Weird segue into that after talking about Smashing Pumpkins, but hello, Caitlin, how are you?
1: I think I did know the Smashing Pumpkins were from Chicago.
2: Well, there you go, and now we... Now we all know. Now we all know. And the people who are listening to this on the podcast are like, what are you talking about? The music doesn't play on the podcast. Stop doing that, Blake. It's the, the number one piece of feedback. So, uh, as you know, I'm a little hard-headed.
1: Well, what can I say?
2: <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, tonight is uh, Jay's Care Foundation auction. And one of the things that is being auctioned off, and we had Buck Martinez on earlier, which was very cool, uh, to talk about that you can bid on a fishing trip with him mm. if if there were a Caitlin McGrath auction tonight, what would people get to do with you? Like, what is your fishing trip with Buck?
1: <laughs> That's a good question. Gosh, I don't do anything very exciting. <laughs> it would be, like, who wants to binge watch, uh, like, a season of The O.C. with Caitlin? Oh,
2: which season? <laughs> as long as it's not season three? Number one. I, yeah, as long as it's not season three, I could get there. I, I maintain season four was okay, better than mm-hmm. I got credit for, but yeah. Yeah, season, season
1: one is, it's, like, one of the best, I would say it's one of, like, the best season ones of uh, teen soap opera drama TV there ever was. I don't
2: have a lot to compare it to because mm. I haven't watched a lot of those. But, yeah, I, I'd agree. You're just – all it's missing is a little baseball, you know? Yeah. yeah. At least – what was it? One Tree Hill was the basketball one?
1: Yeah. There was uh, – One Tree Hill had basketball. I don't think Dawson's Creek ever had many sports. There was a little bit of football, I think, in Dawson's Creek. Yeah. But uh, – Or maybe
2: we're just mixing it up with Varsity Blues.
1: You know, I don't think I watched that oh. one. Yeah, That's the, OC the one where had, Dawson
2: is a quarterback.
1: Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, the OC had, like, well, it was, like, all rich uh, yeah. sports. So it was, like, sailing Polo. and stuff. Yeah.
2: Polo, yeah. Uh, fishing.
1: <laughs> yeah, speaking of Buck and yeah. the fishing trip. See, we circle back all the way there.
2: Um. All right, so let's talk about some actual baseball. Uh, I missed John Schneider pregame because of the timing here. Anything of note come out of John? No?
1: Not really, no in- injury updates or anything. I guess we're on the cusp of rosters expanding. Yeah. So we know one is going to be Bradley Zimmer. He was reclaimed off waivers a couple days ago they had three days to sort of get him here there's always a grace period of three days so that perfectly lined up when rosters expand how who would have thunk it but uh so we're getting up on that and then there's going to be a pitcher spot so it's interesting who they'll bring i think potentially like you could see a scenario where it's zach pop because you thought he was sent down just because of a roster crunch scenario they do have a couple double headers though coming up so maybe it's more like a trent thornton guy maybe he'll be more useful for that and then you could kind of, uh, if, as you get down closer to September, maybe then you want to switch that out and, and bring Zach Pop up. So that's a that's a that's something that we could find out tomorrow. But
2: Yeah, the other option is uh, Julia Merriweather, who, yeah. um, you know, there would be a bit of a 40-man crunch. They had a spot that I kind of assumed was like, okay, when Merriweather's ready, because he's on the 60-day IL right now, but Zimmer will take that spot. Yeah. So um, they'd have to, you know, lose someone, but the type of guys you lose off the 40-man aren't. They're Bradley Zimmer types uh, that are all, that are available on the waiver wire. Um, yeah, the pop thing's interesting because I agree with you, and I, I liked what I saw from him when he was here. I like that power sinker, uh, but if we look at some, w- what does a guy do differently than what's in the bullpen right mm-hmm. now? That's Merriweather, right? It, that's the yeah. he throws hard and he can miss bats, and yeah, he's going to walk some guys and probably walk into a few homers, but he can miss some bats and. Um, you know, this is this is the thing too, where I will overthink these things, and then it's like, yeah, it's relievers. Like in three days, they'll make another roster move. It'll be someone else up. Uh, and like you said, you get the extra the extra arm on Monday for mm-hmm. the doubleheader. Um, I guess the the other thing that would inform that decision, maybe, or inform the decision of who would come up Monday for the doubleheader, is that. Yusei Kikuchi could potentially start one of those games. Yeah. Um, is that your feel right now? Is that your read on it, that he would start one of the doubleheader games or, or bullpen I don't day?
1: Ha- I don't have a great read on it yeah. yet. It, it feels like it's dependent on maybe what happens in the next few days. Like, if they have to call on Kikuchi, then mm-hmm. probably he's not starting. If they don't have to use him at all, then maybe he is. I don't know how hesitant they are to throw him back into a situation where he's starting. I don't know if they would want to get creative and use someone like Trent, go out there, pitches the first two innings, then you try and use Kikuchi for three in the middle, and then you're just bridging the gap for uh, a few more arms from the bullpen. And then it's kind of like a pseudo bullpen day, but you've sort of planned it out a little bit. Um, It's not just like one reliever after the other, but I don't, that's a tricky one. I, I don't have a great read. And they also have the off day. So I guess there's a scenario where they don't even have to p- call up someone extra. They have the off day on Thursday. So they they could probably just go with all their starters, keeping them on rotation.
2: But they would then have the hole at the back end of the Baltimore series. Right. They would then have to fill eventually or yeah. someone has to pitch on short notice or whatever. I just looked up Thomas Hatch's game log because I know he had been pitching better of late. And I was like, not talking myself into it because I still remember that last start very, very the opposite of fondly Um, but yeah he got rocked in his last triple a start anyway so i think that that momentum's gone so the bradley zimmer side of this is the pitching side's more interesting because there are options that you could talk your way into different things the zimmer one is interesting for another reason and it's that you look at the lineup today you've got Left-handed hitting defensive replacement slash speed guy Rymel Tapia on the bench. You've got left-handed hitting defensive replacement slash speed guy Jackie Bradley Jr. on the bench. And you will now have left-handed hitting defense and speed guy Bradley Zimmer on the bench. Seems to be a bit of a redundancy there, Caitlin.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess it gives you extra cover for... For center field, having more center fielders, and then you have you can use Jackie Bradley Jr. and right, or there's a nice scenario where you want to have that. I guess there was maybe some, at the time when they claimed him, maybe there was a little bit more uncertainty about how Teoscar was going to respond with the foot, so maybe that was a bit of a reaction to it. I don't know if there's just, like, you know, Bradley Zimmer was with us for a lot of the year. Bring him back for this stretch run. I mean, the the other thing is, like, who's the alternative? I think the only other alternative that you would think of would be Gabriel Moreno, right? Who they and want
2: playing every day.
1: Exactly. And so then it's like, well, who else are you calling up? I mean, we've seen Otto Lopez make cameos, but never really on the field. Um,
2: <laughs> I think no, he's, he's had, like, 20 major league days and one plate appearance or which something Which was last like year. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, the other option would have been... I guess Zach Collins, so you get the third catcher and you can do the pinch hit for a Danny Jansen even when when Alejandro Kirk's at DH. Um, And, you know, that was something I had thought about. And then on Monday, in the exact spot, you would have pinch hit for Danny Jansen. He hits that three-run home run. Um, I know you wrote about Jansen the other day. Where is he at? You know, he had a pretty tough stretch there and Mm -hmm. has had a couple big games in the last week or so um where's danny jansen at in terms of you know getting that confidence back or rounding back into form
1: yeah i mean he's looked good the last couple of days funnily enough like he got it going in boston and seems like a few times this year he's really got things going in boston so whatever it is about that ballpark he likes hitting there sometimes
2: reese mcguire has been hitting since he landed with boston too something about blue jays catchers there
1: there you go there's something about it uh but yeah i think he looks a lot more confident and he looks like he's um, kind of what he was looking like in what was it like April and at different mm-hmm. points the season when um, I think there's probably we didn't give him enough credit or didn't uh, sort of pay atten- attention enough to how hard it is to come back from a hand injury as a catcher like you were-
2: something Moreno's been dealing with at AAA too he's had extended stretches off he had I think he had thumb surgery last year mm-hmm. um, but he's had this on and off thumb thing and it's the same thing it's obviously it's going to affect your hitting yeah but you got to catch and throw back there. Yeah,
1: like you don't get much of a rest with your hands when you're the catcher. You're using them constantly in every moment of the game, and then you're also hitting. And so maybe it just – he wanted to get back in the games, and the Blue Jays wanted him as as back as as soon as possible. Maybe it just took him some extra time to sort of, like, get right totally with that hand. And, you know, it's extra – now he's looking good, and I feel like last year at the end of the season he got things going a little bit, so maybe I mean, I think you look at the Blue Jays lineup and it's really key for the bottom of it to start going because more often than not, the top of the order has been good. I know, like, maybe Lourdes is kind of searching for things a little bit. Uh, Bo still kind of trying to find it. Vladdy's kind of coming out of it maybe now, but... I, I think, like, ultimately, you know the top of the order is probably going to deliver for you, but you need some guys at the bottom, like, turning it over. And if Jansen can do that, like, that's just a key for this team.
2: Yeah, and, you know, the way baseball works is it doesn't have to be one guy consistently. It can be there was a stretch where Espinal was hitting mm-hmm. a lot. And then when Biggio came back up from AAA, he was an on-base machine for a while. And, you know, like you said, Jansen at the start of the season, if Jansen could get hot now, if Whit Merrifield ever gets a hit, we'll, uh, we'll see you. Another relief option for the doubleheader. Whitmerfield. Yeah, you know, Whitmerfield. Um, so when we look at the top seven in the order, mm-hmm. Tasker Hernandez hitting seventh tonight. By the yeah. way, the first time all season he's hit that low. Do you? I know there are a couple guys who have been locked into their spots more recently, but there's a fair amount of juggling five, six, seven. Or if Kirk has an off there or whatever, I, we all know Springer's going to lead off whenever he's in the lineup. Do you get a sense at all that Schneider is? juggling things in part just to keep guys familiar with moving around to different spots
1: i don't know though because i feel like sometimes at playoff you kind of want guys locked into their spots yeah. so i don't know i've sort of been this is like my own pet theory but i just am convinced that lordis likes hitting lower in the order because i feel like when he was hitting like lower maybe like six six or seven he was like in the best stretch of his season, and it always felt like it helped Chapman, too, because every time Chapman looked up, Lourdes was on base for him, and I feel like that was a really good dynamic down there. I don't know that there's anything to it. Like, I don't know if he's getting pitched differently. Probably not. Like, Lordis is a guy that's going to be who he is, uh, so it's probably just a coincidence, but uh, I'm kind of convinced that he should hit lower, but whatever. It's It's probably – I probably parsed out the numbers, and I looked at it. It wouldn't really – say that but uh, that's just where i'm at but yeah i don't know like i think sometimes we as like the media or just fans like place more importance on the lineup and like where guys are hitting where and if they need to hit there all the time like ultimately it really just like matters for the first inning (laughs) or the first time through i guess
2: yeah and it's also it's one of those things that like you know coming from kind of a, a statsier analytics background it's one of the things that like It feels like it matters because it's something we can point to and there's so few things with a manager or something like that we can point to and be like this is right or this is wrong or Mm -hmm. this is what i would do but then also you look at the numbers and it's like yeah your optimized lineup like if this lineup was perfectly optimized versus uh what it is today you're talking about like 0.03 runs of expected runs different like it really just comes down to the guys hit in the right days. And, yeah. Um, you they know, string
1: uh, the hits together all, and it, does it all come together? And it's sometimes you could put up a real crazy lineup that didn't make any sense. And that, that lineup could score 10 runs.
2: We, I have done that. Um, A few years back, I played, like, fairly competitive slow pitch, and and that was the slump breaker. That's that's what you always try to do is, like, okay, we haven't been hitting or we've had a couple bad games in a row. We're just names out of a hat, basically. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, maybe they could just get to that point as well. Um, In terms of, you know, this offense needing to, like, to be reductive, if the best players are hitting well, this will be a a deadly offense. We've seen that more often than not this year. Um, Vlad is kind of, though, back into one of his I don't want to say slumps overall because you know he hits the home run yesterday he's had some big hits but he's back to pulling a lot of ground balls and that's his ground ball rate with runners in scoring position this month is almost 80% yeah. which feels impossible <laughs> like it feels like if you told him hey hit it on the ground every time with runners in scoring position like I don't know that you'd be able to do that intentionally. Um, What is your sense of of where Vlad's at? And, you know, is is this a new thing? Or are we just kind of back to square one where we were earlier in the year when he was having this issue?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's probably a little bit of how guys are pitching to him. I think he gets pitched completely differently when guys are on base. And I think it's also just a sign of, he's still a young player. I know he's been in the league a long time, or it feels like he's been in the league a long time, or he's been around a long time, and he has to some extent. I mean, uh, he's been in the majors since 2019 when he made his debut, but this is also a different sort of pressure, a different sort of environment. He's now supposed to be leading a contending playoff team. There's a lot more pressure on his shoulders, and I think it's Sometimes it can just probably be chalked up to, and I know people want, don't want to hear this, but it's like trying to do a little too much. I think that those in those scenarios, sometimes it's he knows academically or however you want to frame it. He knows in theory that taking a walk is as good as getting a hit, but sometimes it's hard to follow through with that in those high-pressure situations, and he's a guy that cares so much about winning that there's probably some times where he does try to do it too too much, uh, doesn't take those pitches and tries to – because, you know, he has such an elite bat-to-ball skills that sometimes he can connect on a a ball outside the zone and do damage on it, right? We've seen him do that a number of times, and so it's probably a matter of him just having to realize, like, this is what the pitcher's trying to do to me. I can't fall into that trap of letting him do that to me. I've got to, I've got to wait for my pitch to hit. And if it doesn't come, then take the walk. Because sometimes that's as good as a hit.
2: Yeah, and there were a handful of times over the weekend where he let something go down the pipe. And maybe because he's, you know, overthinking it or, or not expecting to get pitched over the heart. Um, it's a tough one. It's, it's tough to be the best hitter in a lineup. Mm-hmm. Pitchers will be very... Thoughtful and deliberate about how they attack you. Um, let's turn to a more positive. So, also in last night's game, there's the Teoscar home run, there's the Vlad home run. There's yet another multi inning save from Jordan Romano. He gets four outs in this one. That's happened a handful of times this year. I think he's toward the top of the league in saves that are more than three outs. Um, number one in the league in average leverage, top five in win probability. Any stat you choose, Jordan Romano is right near the top. Where's your confidence level right now in the bullpen overall? Because it, Jay's fans in general, and, and admittedly me as well, thought that maybe they didn't do enough with the bullpen at the trade deadline. And then since then, since the All-Star break, this has been a very, very good bullpen. Still not missing a lot of bats, mm-hmm. but getting the job done. Where's your confidence level in this group for the September run?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's – they've been – Even before the All-Star break, I think even since the start of July, if you went back, like the numbers are pretty good. They're one of the top bullpens in the American League for the last two months. And Jordan is kind of leading that. He is... You know, maybe he's not got the the best elite stuff that some relievers have, but certainly I don't think there's anyone in the game right now uh, who is better at handling the situation than he is. I mean, you talk about getting four outs; he's gotten six outs. He's done things that he's never had to do before, and that like he comes in in tie situations and comebacks out for the win, and so he's. I think he's risen to the occasion of September. And, yeah, I think the bullpen, I think they are who they are. And they have to just kind of sort of do what they need to do to succeed. And I know with the bullpen, there's a lot of confidence in the defense behind them. And so, yeah, they're not missing a lot of bats. But to some extent, that's because they're not trying to bite the corners because they trust the guys behind them. So they're actually just trying to make pitches most of the time and hope that the defense more often than not makes those plays. And it usually has. I know there's been some wobbly defensive games especially over the weekend against the Angels mm-hmm. but yesterday the defense looked a lot better and on the whole the Blue Jays have um, you know, one of the best if not the best defender at third base. They've got a lot of uh, Espinal's excellent at second. Whit Merrifield's an excellent defender. Uh, I know Bose had some bobbles lately but he's taken great strength In his defensive game this year, like overall, and the Vladdy also is an excellent first baseman. So I think the the bullpen is who they are going to be, and there's no point in necessarily of them going out there and trying to be like a Cleveland's bullpen right now because it's just that's not who they are. But I I have confidence that they're a group that has a lot of belief in themselves, knows what they need to do to get out of it, and and they've got the arms to do it. And I think John Schneider's been really good at putting them all in situations where they're going to be able to succeed.
2: When I think of big bullpen performances in the playoffs over the last few years it's kind of you know it's the Andrew Miller is the guy that I think of the most but it's a lot of guys giving you extended relief outings when maybe that's a one-inning guy normally and Andrew Miller was more of a a multi-inning guy anyway but managers will push the relievers to do that a little bit more in the playoffs do you get a little excited thinking about what Jordan Romano would maybe look like in a situation like like it's, it's good. George Springer's playing the air guitar on his bat right now, by the way. Um, what what a guy. Um, Jordan Romano being, showing that he can do that so many times this year, and now you're heading into the playoffs not wondering what that would look like. That's got to make John Schneider pretty confident in not just Romano, but how he manages the bullpen over the course of an entire game.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, that's the important thing, too, is that if you get to a postseason – Um, And you need to call on Jordan to do that. Well, he's been developing that skill, that mindset that he needs to get the job done this year. So you're not going to throw him into a situation where he's going to be uncomfortable. He's going to be able to draw back on his experience and say, I did this on this day. It worked for me. This is like the routine. I know like a lot of players, Jordan in particular is like very routine oriented. He has a very like regimented way that he gets ready for the game. Uh, Even like five innings before he's going to get into the game, you see him like doing his typical, like wandering around the bullpen, um, basically beginning in like the fourth inning, if not before that. Um, So yeah, I think it's been it's been good to see John Schneider use him that way and have the confidence to use him that way because you're right in the playoffs it's like kind of all bets are off in terms of how you use your bullpen like you have to ask a lot from guys and I thought it was even interesting yesterday how they used Trevor Richards like we've seen Trevor Richards be more of a guy that like maybe comes in when there's a lead or when there's a, when they're trailing by a lot and you're just trying to get some innings out of him but He's kind of their pseudo-other lefty because he can get lefties out and the change-up can be really effective. And so you saw him in a pretty big spot yesterday. And I think, like, like, let's clear the air on Trevor Richards. I know I don't know how you feel about him now, but the numbers have been good the last two months for him. He's looked much better, and he's doing what he needs to do to succeed. And actually, like, he's one of their best swing and miss he options. He is, yeah.
2: That's, and that's the draw, you know, the, the walks of the walks. Yeah. But, yeah, you need a, a guy sometimes who can miss some bats. And, and you're right, that kind of being a reverse platoon splits guy mm-hmm. is a helpful thing to have especially when you know you've used Tim Mesa a lot this year when yes. he's been healthy and you don't have you know at this point I don't think Matt Gage is coming back up so uh, I think he would have been up here by now and you're certainly not trusting Kikuchi and leverage out of the pen right now so it's a good point and, and maybe I will have to come around on <laughs> Trevor Richards at some point. Um, Caitlin are you on this next trip?
1: I am going to Baltimore so I'm going in the middle portion of it.
2: Double header.
1: Double header. I was in Baltimore last year when they played the double header, which was a very different stakes. Uh, the Baltimore team was a much different team then, but that was when they came back to win both of those games. The second one, they were losing. They were getting no hit into the seventh, and they scored 11 runs in the seventh inning. Oh, end. was
2: that that one? Yes. yes. The, and then the offense exploded for, like, several games.
1: Yes. Then they scored, like, 22 runs in a yeah. game the next day, I think. So... Yeah, that was actually a, such a strange series because on the Friday night, Robbie Ray lost and got in a fight with like Brandon Hyde, their manager. <laughs> <laughs> it was such an eventful four-game series.
2: Oh, geez. Well, yeah, the the offense speak that into existence. Uh, maybe it's been getting going a little bit here against Chicago. At least better than the Angels and, and Pittsburgh is Pittsburgh. But um, Caitlin, after this trip, so ten game or ten, yeah, ten game trip, three against Pittsburgh three against Texas sandwiched around that Baltimore series. That is it for sub 500 competition until the very last week of the season when they play the Red Sox for three. Mm -hmm. I know John Schneider's favorite word lately is urgency. Do you think that team feels that a little bit with, with, you know, obviously you can't look past an opponent. You can't underestimate an opponent, but um, this is the last chance kind of to pad the, the last trip to pad the, the win total against teams that aren't, you know, coming for you the same way you're coming for that.
1: Yeah, no, it's going to be really crucial for them to play, finish out this series with a sweep if they can, go into Pittsburgh and try to sweep that series as well or at least take two of three. The, the Texas one, it will either raise in importance or just be, you know, we'll see how it goes in Baltimore, but you would assume that the Texas one is again a series where they need to win more than they lose. But, I mean, that's just – at the end of the day, like those 19 games they have left uh, against Baltimore and Tampa are cool. huge. And if you win those out, then you are going to be in the spot because you keep, huh. you keep the Rays and you keep Baltimore out of it. Like That's how simple it is. The Blue Jays, last year they didn't completely have their fate in their own hands. Um, they had to rely on some other teams. And they did a good job to sort of get them right in it. And then at the end, they stumbled a little bit. They went to Minnesota, and that the time, Minnesota wasn't really a contending team. And I think they split that series, Um, and then they lost two of three at Toronto against the Yankees, which really was what did them in. And then they hung in it. But they again, on that last day of the season last year, they had to rely on other people, and it didn't work out for them. So this team knows what's at stake. They have missed the postseason before by not getting the job done, and so... This is how simple it is. You got to win those games. Like you just have to do it. You have no choice.
2: Yeah, it's it is that simple this time of year, right? And, and Ross Atkins said it the other day when we were speaking with him. Um, you know, they do have their they don't have their destiny in their own hands to the extent that I think Jays fans were hoping heading into the yeah. season because you know the division's probably out of reach at this point and, and in a three game wild card series, who knows? But in terms of just purely making the playoffs, yeah, yes, they're in control. You you hammer Baltimore. In the remaining games against them, you play Tampa Bay even, you're you're going to be just fine. Um, the idea of them going to Tampa for a wild-card series, though, is is daunting. Um, yes. Kayla McGrath, I hope you have a blast in Baltimore. Thank you. Uh, and the doubleheader is as fun to write about it as it was <laughs> last year. Um, thanks so much for taking the time out.
1: Of course. Thank you.
2: Kayla McGrath of The Athletic. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to take your texts to five We're going to go through the lineups and uh, tee up Mitch White against Luke Farrell for as long as Luke Farrell lasts. A bit of a bullpen day for the Cubs. That's next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports F590, The Fan. To Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy with you for one more segment from down here at Rogers Center where the Dome is closed. Where Ben Wagner's getting his pregame meal in. Arden's Welling's down on the uh, the field doing TV stuff. A man of many talents uh, in this series. Ben and Arden have the call for you. First pitch at 7.07. Also seeing our pal Danielle Michaud on the screen here. She will be taking you through the Jays Care auction tonight on the television broadcast. As a reminder, that is now open. It's open until 9.30 p.m. Eastern tonight. All proceeds go to the Jays Care Foundation. You can get Jays memorabilia, MLB memorabilia, tickets to a future game, vacations. You can see Sir Elton John from a luxury suite with 15 friends On his Yellow Brick Road farewell tour in September here at Rogers Center. Uh, You can get a private photography session at Rogers Center. A round of golf with Jose Cruz Jr. Uh, You can get Danny Jansen's game-worn catcher gear. And, of course, as we talked to the man himself about earlier, a fishing trip with Buck Martinez. Uh, So check that out. Check out BlueJays.com. Check out the Jays Care website. Check out the television broadcast for updates from Danielle throughout the game tonight. All goes to the Jays Care Foundation, which is, uh, of course, a great cause. You can keep your text coming for the rest of this show, uh, 590 five We're going to go over the lineups, and we're going to go over the pitching matchup uh, momentarily here. What I want to look at first, though, and this kind of came up, was teed up well by Caitlin McGrath when we just spoke to her. There are some similarities between this year and last year for the Blue Jays, where they are in the standings right now, what this last month looks like. There's some key differences, too. And the weight of expectations, as well as some of the up and down this year, makes it feel a lot different than last year. That's something that Mark Shapiro spoke with Jeff Blair and Kevin Barker about earlier today on the Blair and Barker podcast, or the Blair and Barker show, rather, which you can now check out uh, on the Blair and Barker podcast if you missed it. Um, That's one that, you know, that'll be timeless. You can go back and listen to that one uh, whenever if you missed it. I want to play a clip from it, though. Mark Shapiro's kind of take on the up-and-down nature of this team so far. Here's Mark Shapiro on Blair and Barker earlier today
4: if you had told me we'd be 12 games above 500 and three games ahead for a playoff spot, I'd probably say I'd like to be a little better than that, but we're, we're in a good spot. So, uh, I think it's, you know, it, it's an awkward juncture. I wouldn't normally come on with you guys right now and mm-hmm. because it's not time to draw conclusions. It's time to kind of understand where we are. It's been a, you know, an up and down season, certainly, um, you know, one that's, one of the more strange ones that i've you know observed uh, but at the same time i know you know again ha- being having the privilege to have a front row seat you know you couldn't have a group of guys that care more work harder or better teammates and have talent so that's you know normally i would say you put all those things together and you've got a heck of a an opportunity to play in postseason now it's for me it's finishing strong and and really ensuring that we're playing our best baseball heading into the playoffs because i think whether it's the Braves last year or many other historical examples if we're playing our best baseball uh and we get in the playoffs anything can happen you call it one of the strangest
2: years you've been part of what's been the strangest part of it
4: i don't know just that we've you know that all those conditions are there, and yet it's been you know there's been some some challenging periods where we we haven't played well. Um, you know, again, I think I don't want to write the you know write the last chapter sure. of the book, and I think uh, that's premature, but probably probably just that.
2: That was Mark Shapiro uh, on Blair and Barker earlier. Again, you can check out the full interview on the Blair and Barker show uh, on the podcast feed. Blair and Barker will also be back for you uh, for Jays Talk post game tonight. The Jays up and down has been hard to go through, certainly, as uh, if you're from the fan perspective, if you're uh, doing a radio show about this team every day because who they are seems to change series to series. You can take six of seven on the road against AL East competition and then get swept at home by a bad team with two of the greatest baseball players of all time. And hey... Some positive news around the same time as we brought it yesterday. Hopefully this one doesn't result the same. The Dome is opening. The Dome is opening up. Yesterday that happened, and then I went down to seats to watch the game with some friends and got soaked. The first time that's ever happened to me at a Blue Jays game here in Toronto. But the Dome is opening back up. Uh, Maybe we'll get one of those cool reddish-orange-pink skies again today. Uh, So if you're coming down to the game, you get an open roof. That's always fun. It's always good. Mitch White on the hill tonight we spoke to david lorela earlier about his conversation with mitch white about how he changed his slider um we of course talked to mitch white a couple of weeks ago ourselves and we had ross stripling on last weekend and we spoke a little bit about mitch white everyone's talking about mitch white and those soft hands um the most interesting thing about him and this goes back to you know we first got on this trail a little bit when Arden swelling spoke to Mitch White about changing his slider grip and, you know, the slider getting hammered in a big leverage spot back when he was with the Dodgers and going down a path to try to reimagine that slider. It's not as hard. It breaks a little earlier. But the results have been there. Against Mitch White's slider this year, opponents are hitting just 178. Sorry, they're hitting 231. 178 is against his curveball. They're hitting 231 against his slider. Um, When we look at the StatCast metric, expected weighted on base average, which takes into account walks, the strikeouts, the quality of contact, comes in at 272. That's very good. That's not, you know, Gosman splitter level, but that's like Barrios curveball level. uh, Swing and miss on more than 30% of the sliders he throws. So that's been his most effective pitch. After throwing it 22% of the time as a Dodger, he's up to almost 30% of the time as a Blue Jay, and it's actually the pitch he uses most against righties because he has so much confidence uh, not only in the results but in his ability to locate it. That's come at a cost to his curveball. you got to scale something back if you're going to up the slider usage. He's upped his changeup usage a little bit in Toronto uh, as well, but we're still talking only 5% of his pitches, and he'll only throw that to lefties. The curveball has that 178 batting average against that I mentioned. Uh, little less swing and miss, a little harder contact, but still a pretty good pitch for him. And like we talked about with Ross Stripling about Mitch White, he has a not an elite fastball, but a fastball that's, that's up around 94 and stays pretty consistent in that velocity range. And if you have a slider and a curveball that you trust off of that fastball, well, you're a change up away from being pretty good and having a pretty good mix. He's also toyed with the sinker. The results haven't been very good. Um, you know, long term, that, that sinker might be something that's only used to uh, set up the curve or set up the change. Don't know that it'll ever be a high-volume weapon for him, at least the way it looks right now. Um, But you can see where the Jays want Mitch White to go and and where he's trying to go. A little more slider usage, a little more change-up usage, uh, a little more you can't guess what's coming. Throw a couple different pitches effectively to a few different quadrants. Um, It hasn't been great for results overall for Mitch White so far. He has a 5.89 ERA as a Blue Jay he probably doesn't deserve an era up around six um he's you know had some not great fortune on balls and play despite having a pretty good ground ball rate here um you know the strand rate is down which is usually your ability to leave guys on base is certainly in part how you pitch out of the stretch and how confidently you pitch in tougher spots do you have that dog in you uh but A little bit of that is also the defense behind you, and that was very evident in Friday's game. Um, Overall, on the year, Mitch White is a 424 ERA. Component metrics that that say he's a, a high three to low four ERA guy, so nothing too out of line there when you look at his overall season numbers. The Cubs are betting tonight that Mitch White is a platoon splits guy. He's not. He's pretty split neutral. But they've got all four of their lefties in the lineup tonight. So we'll see how that goes. It'll be at least interesting, given that we've talked a lot about Mitch White trying to develop a changeup. And that's a pitch he'll only throw to lefties. Well, there are four lefties in the lineup. So we'll get a good look at it. Whatever Mitch White is throwing, the story on him for the season has been he probably doesn't miss enough bats at this stage. He's in the 10th percentile league wide in terms of swing and miss rate. You need to miss more bats than that if you're going to be an effective starter long-term. And he's only average getting guys to chase out of the zone. What that basically means is he profiles as a guy who you're going to get contact against. However, he's done a really good job limiting hard contact. Pretty low exit velocities, pretty low hard hit rates, and you can see it. Even on a, a night like Friday where Mitch White doesn't have it necessarily, and he's grinding through it, a lot of the stuff that drops in is... The stuff you have to live with dropping in, a line drive that just kind of finds the middle of the outfield even though it wasn't stung, you're okay with where Mitch White's at right now in his development. I think there are some encouraging signs when you talk to him, when you hear him talk, when you talk to David Lorela about his conversations with Mitch White. It's a guy who wants to get better and wants to explore different ways to do that with the whether it's teammates around him or technology in the offseason or um, you know, numbers, whatever, feel, when you throw five pitches, you know you're—you know that's a guy that can tinker with some some grips and some releases. So, probably better days ahead for Mitch White. For right now, that's who he is, uh, and we don't know what he's going to look like against this Cubs team because he's only faced one Chicago Cub before, even though he's an NL guy. And that Cub, Wilson Contreras, is not in the lineup. That was one plate appearance. Mitch White walked him. We won't see Wilson Contreras tonight. Who we will see, Zach McKinstry. Leading off and playing second for the Cubs. We haven't got a look at the kind of 27-year-old post-type 9 prospect in this series yet. The return for the Chris Martin trade ahead of the deadline. Hasn't been going well for him this year or career-wise. He might be hitting a spot where, well, the Cubs won't run out of patience with him just yet. They just traded for him. But uh, the bloom is off a little bit with Zach McKinstry. We'll see how he does at the top of the lineup today. He'll be followed by Seiya Suzuki, Fran Mill Reyes, Ian Happ, Nico Horner, Raphael Ortega, Jan Gomes, old friend, back behind the plate, Alfonso Rivas, and Christopher Morel. Um That is four lefties, Street Hap, Ortega, and Rivas. We'll see. I don't... Uh, I, I'm interested in whether this is just the Cubs rotating guys around. Uh, the Jays obviously don't have a, a lefty in the rotation right now with Yusei Kikuchi out of the rotation, so... Maybe they were just looking for a spot to stack some lefties. Maybe they see something in Mitch White's recent starts uh, that we haven't seen or or hasn't borne out in the numbers that they think they can get a little something from those platoon splits. But so far, uh, Mitch White on the year, actually a little better against righties, and and last year was uh, only slightly worse against lefties. So about a neutral guy for his career. When you have your fifth starter on the mound, and it's a fifth starter who has not gone deep into games for you and has a 589 ERA since coming over, you might think you won't have the pitching advantage in that game. However, the Jays will go up against a Chicago Cubs team that is doing a de facto bullpen day. That will be led by Luke Farrell, youngest son of John Farrell, brother of the Jays, scouting director. Um, Don't let the surface ERA fool you. Yes, ERA is a helpful stat. But over seven innings, of two appearances, you got to look at a little bit more. Uh, he has, he does have a 3.98 or 3.86 rather uh, ERA on the season. But again, that's three runs over seven innings. Um, that's not a big sample. He's a 4.85 career ERA guy, and in the minors this year at AAA, hit a 5.03 ERA. More concerningly. Strikeout the walk ratio less than two. So a 19% strikeout rate and almost an 11% walk rate. He's also prone to the fly ball, which, with this lineup and this ballpark, isn't a good formula for success. He's not much of a splits guy. It doesn't really matter. The Jays lefties are generally their bench pieces or bottom of the order pieces. Cabin Vigio is the only lefty in the lineup today. What you're looking at for Luke Farrell. Throws a fastball that comes in about 91, a slider that comes in about 82. That'll make up 90% of his pitch mix. Uh, and then he'll drop in the occasional curveball changeup or sinker. Uh, his curveball's been his best pitch for swing and miss, but not overall. If that, if that curveball gets teed off on, it gets teed off on. And uh, anytime you're throwing a secondary offering less than 10% of the time, you probably don't have a ton of confidence uh, in that pitch. He's stretched out a little bit. He's, he's made a start for them. He's started in the minors. Um, I don't think they're penciling him in for five innings or anything like that. The Jays saw Farrell a couple times last year. Big old 20.25 ERA. He made one start and two relief appearances against them, only lasted two and two thirds innings overall, 20.25. Uh, the Jays, who are still on the roster, had 21 plate appearances against him, an expected weighted on base average of almost 500. Uh, whether you know that's that or not, that is very, very good. Uh, the Jays went six of 17 against him with four walks. Bo had a pair of hits, including a home run against him. Uh, George Springer was the only one who had any trouble, and that was a very, very small sample of trouble. So let's say you chase Farrell quickly or, or he's on, a, you know, an innings cap, a times through the order cap. Luckily for the Cubs, they have a couple extra arms in the bullpen for this series. With This would have been Justin Steele's start day, so they get a, an extra arm because Steele's on the restricted list. And they did that nonsense with Adrian Sampson where he got yanked from a game maybe earlier than he needed to uh, so that technically they could bring up another arm Uh, so they have a nine-man bullpen even with Farrell moving into uh, a starting spot I would imagine we'll see Mark Leiter Jr he made four starts earlier in the year Um, he's thrown 55 innings over 25 appearances overall He's not particularly effective. Comes in with a 423 ERA, 407 expected ERA based on the stat cast numbers. Um, that's not bad for a long man out of the pen, a swing man. Uh, I'd imagine we'll see him at some point. I'd imagine we'll also see, well, we'll probably see a lot of guys. Uh, Rowan Wickle almost definitely pitched today. He hasn't pitched the last two games. Canadian guy, I saw someone in a Roanwick jersey uh, at some point this series, so uh, that person will be psyched to see him. But Rowan Wick, another guy, 464 ERA, 555 expected ERA. Um, as much as they've leaned on him, he has not been particularly effective. Uh, you'll get Hughes, Uleman, Rodriguez, Estrada, and Little both pitched yesterday, but they're also just up for this, and if you have to burn innings on, a, on guys, and you have to see someone two days in a row, maybe the guys who are going right back down to AAA are them. Although Estrada looked pretty impressive yesterday, and as Buck Martinez said, pretty lively fastball. Uh, you just got to see from here, you know, can he pitch beyond that. Um, Sean Newcomb's the other guy to keep an eye out for. They have used him as a long man at times. They've also used him for short stints. He's got a big old 972 ERA. Uh, that's a guy who was a starter a couple years back. Basically, what I'm trying to paint the picture of here is you go through what the Cubs' bullpen looks like, and there aren't a lot of obvious arms to follow Farrell that can give you multiple innings. Uh, Hughes and Ullman have been pretty solid this year, but those guys are mostly three four maybe five out guys they haven't been used in long situations so you're probably looking at lighter and newcomb at some point and then some of the younger guys oh rucker as well uh but again another four and a half era guy so um there are paths to the blue jays getting the bats going today uh coming out of a cold weekend and with only i say only five runs the last two games just because you know we've seen this offense hit for a lot more than that. Marcus Stroman was good yesterday, though. I was a little surprised he got hooked when he did at only 87 pitches, uh, and then they paid for it immediately. Um, so that's how the Cubs line up. The Jays will go as follows. George Springer back in center field at the top of the order. Vlad gets a DH day. Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Alejandro Kirk, Bo Matt Chapman, Teoscar Hernandez. That's going to be your top seven in some order when it's you know an A lineup day. They continue to tweak what that order looks like exactly as they try to find either the right spot for guys or or the right groove for guys. Like Caitlin McGrath said, there's probably not a ton of difference how you shake those guys up. Um, But they're trying to find an order that works best. Kevin Biggio hit eighth and play first base. He's the lone lefty in the lineup. Whit Merrifield rounds it out and plays second. So uh, Espinal draws back out. Danny Jansen gets an off day after catching the last two. And Tapia and Jackie Bradley Jr. are your extra outfielders. It'll be very funny to look at a lineup like this after tomorrow when Bradley Zimmer's also added this roster, because you're going to have three of those left-handed defense and speed guys uh, on the bench behind Mitch white, by the way, here's the benefit of if the, if the bats get going, you can use you Kikuchi, he's fresh and he could give you a couple innings in theory behind him, Jimmy Garcia, Tim Mesa, David Phelps, Adam Sibber, probably all good to go. Trevor Richards, I'd imagine they'd be fine using again today. He threw 18 pitches, Um, so, you know, you'd probably prefer not to if you can, but there's an off day tomorrow. Uh, Jordan Romano's thrown 36 pitches over two appearances the last two days. I'd be a little surprised if we saw him today. Um, Anthony Bass has also had a really heavy workload week, uh, four appearances in the last six days and almost 60 pitches. So uh, I'd imagine those guys are kind of in the yellow zone where – you know, game on the line, yeah, absolutely. You'll call on Romano if you really have to. We've seen him pitch three days in a row before, uh, but I think they would prefer not to, and the way you can do that is you can get the Luke Farrell early. Um, Colin in Nova Scotia asks, has there been any chatter about White tipping his pitches last start? It was pretty obvious on TV. Um, I didn't get a chance to, to talk to him this week. It'll be something to watch tonight. Um, you know Joe Siddle will be all over that if he is. Um, you know, Ben Wagner and Arden Zwelling will be keeping an eye out for it as well. Uh, I do wonder if there's something to that as a guy works through trying to develop his changeup on the fly, and he obviously hasn't had a great feel for the sinker, which, you know, you need that sinker a little bit for the curveball to play off against righties, or, the ch- or you know, really, if you're going to throw the changeup against righties too. Um, sorry, the curveball against lefties, the changeup against righties. Maybe he is to be. Maybe also he was just you know, didn't have the feel for it. And, and that's, that is the tough part of throwing five pitches at times is I've never thrown five pitches, but I'd imagine it's hard to tunnel them all effectively, especially if you lose the feel for one and you're trying to develop another. So it is something to keep an eye out for Colin. I don't know that, uh, I don't know. It, we'll, we'll see. It's, uh, it's always, a. Uh, thing to look at when a guy has a, a poor outing like it was with Gosman earlier in the year at one point like it was with Barrios um, you know it's always something with Stripling and I talked off air with Arden's Welling about this yesterday and Stripling's high change-up release the highest in baseball and yeah you can't really do that unless your fastball is also released from that point because if you have different arm slots for different pitches uh, that's going to be pretty obvious to any hitter who's gotten to the major league so um something to keep an eye out for Colin for sure a couple other texts in the text line um someone who didn't sign theirs uh said his wife and him um concerned about the pop-up sliding Joe Siddle had a good thing on this uh on the broadcast yesterday uh yeah and I could learn from it back in the Back in my days, I was, you know, I had to keep peroxide in the baseball bag because I would scrape up my leg a fair amount. Uh, this is in the the shorts and high socks era. Not, uh, you don't have to wear baseball pants as a as a slow pitch player. It's not, it's not real baseball unless you're one of the really intense, like Braun Strowman's dad level uh, slow pitch players. Um, we got one from someone signed their text anonymous. All right. Um, there was also a question that it was more. Not really a question. It was just uh, basically stop saying that Mitch White got unfortunate last time uh, ERA tells the story. I mean, look, those hits are those hits, but you can't tell me you watched that game Friday and didn't see some uh, not great plays in the field behind him. That doesn't mean Mitch White didn't get hit. It just means that there were also misplays behind him. It's a team sport, man. It's uh If it were not a team sport, we'd just use... Walks, strikeouts, and home runs. That's all we'd look at. Um, Maybe you'll see some home runs today. Dome's opened up. Got a fly ball pitcher with an ERA over five in AAA. You got the Jays, top seven bats all in there. See if you can get Mitch White some run support. If you do, maybe you turn it to Kikuchi. Maybe the bullpen gets a, a little double rest with an off day tomorrow. You've got a tough stretch ahead with three in Pittsburgh which is fine, it's Pittsburgh, but you got four against Baltimore over three days after that. You do want to kind of take the long view over this week, and if you can get the bullpen some rest today, you can get the bats going early. uh, That'll benefit you down the line as well. Uh, Thank you so much to Buck Martinez for coming on earlier. Again, keep an eye out on the broadcast for that Jays Care Foundation auction tonight. Uh, Thanks to David Lorelai and Caitlin McGrath for coming on as well. Thanks to JR and Brett. And Stephen, uh, Blair and Barker, have you for postgame, and I'll hand it over to Ben Wagner and Arden Swelling now on Sports Sportsnet 590, The Fan.